My name is Anthony Fatsis and welcome to the What The Finance podcast, where we interview finance, trading, investing experts to help you understand current market trends and learn about the intricacies of new and existing assets. Hello and welcome, What The Finance, to another episode of the What The Finance podcast, where we talk to experts to help gain a greater understanding about what is happening in the world of finance, investing and markets. So on today's podcast, I'm happy to welcome Grant Williams, who's an experienced investor, who is the author of the newsletter, Things That Make You Go hmm and uh co-founder of the real vision group so grant thanks for joining the podcast today hi Andrew. thanks for having me mate it's good to see you no problem good to see you too and good to have you uh so my first question it's gonna be a bit of a big one but there's been much talk over the past few years and i guess especially recently about the future secular trends that the world will experience and you know from my understanding there's sort of two different camps that people think will happen so uh, first is the COVID pandemic, it's accelerated, accelerated a new inflationary regime, which will be influenced by demographics, geopolitics, deglobalization, the green economy, et cetera. Uh, and I guess there's another one that thinks, you know, we're probably heading towards a recession. We might experience deflation. And then from there, once we recover, it might sort of go back to what we were experiencing 2019, you know, low interest rates, high growth, et cetera. So I'm, I'm sure you've probably thought about this a lot. Are you in any of those camps or maybe do you have your own completely different idea? Look, I, I've said this before, but I think the answer is both. I think both camps are right. It's all—it's the sequencing that's that's so important to get right. Um, you know, demographics is is a big wave that you can't really fight against, um, and the numbers are there for all to see. And it's it's not something that central banks can fix, for example. Um, but right now, this inflation is is way more than transitory. So you know, we're going we're going to get inflation in the short term. It's it's here. It's painful. Um, it's sticky. Uh, there are plenty of signs that the, the economy could go into recession, which normally means kind of we get this deflationary pulse, and certainly you're starting to see that in commodities except energy. Uh, and that energy component is is likely to be something that keeps the inflation numbers elevated, as as is as is uh, food inputs. So you've got the, you've got the absolute nightmare for central banks. You've got the things that they can't print are going up and are staying up. And they've got uh, a, a troubling slowdown potentially in the economy to face, and so look, um, they, they've 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 uh, they're reaping the whirlwind now. And you know, I don't feel an awful lot of sympathy for them. To be honest, they had plenty of time to try and get out of this, and they and they blinked in the face of falling markets, which are in irrelevance in many many ways. So um, you know, it's a bit of a cop out answer to say both, but but I think that's that's the truth. Inflation is here. Deflation is a very strong pulse, but I think this inflationary burst may last a little longer than 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 people uh, than people suspect. Yeah, I guess my concern, as you said, a lot of the time they've taken the easy way out, but and I guess governments as well. You could say, especially recently with you know fiscal policy, what they've done, mm. etc. You know, you could say it's it, especially during COVID, it was needed. Maybe afterwards, not not as much. Do you feel like they'll continue to do that? They probably won't make the right decisions until basically what they their actions don't make any, like they don't actually influence the markets and the markets will just do what they have to do. Does that make sense? Well, look, they, they won't make right decisions because they can't, right? They, they they can't make proactive decisions. That's really the problem with with the whole gig for them. You know, they, they, they're going to be out there um, and they're going to be fighting the last battle. They're not going to, raise rates when they should because you have to get ahead of things um they're not going to cut rates when they should because inflation's out the bottle so you know it, it's frustrating because we've watched what they've done for 
a decade and a half now, and there's been plenty of people banging on drums saying, you need to start raising rates, and they didn't, and they kind of took a run at it late 2018 and blinked very quickly. And it's just frustrating because at the end of the day, there, there's this short-term pain that would have been way less problematic than what we're seeing now in terms of the man in the street and and the, the bills he can't afford to pay. So these guys uh, you know, are charged with maintaining monetary policy. They have their models. They stick to their models. They believe their models. You know, who, what's the old saying? Who are you going to believe? Your own lying eyes or the models? Um and so they're just in a world of pain right now, but it's pain of their own creation. So they're 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 never going to make the right decisions because they can't, and that's that's part of the gig, unfortunately. I guess you see because you could say now that they're potentially making the right decisions. Uh, you know, I guess that's a, there's an argument there, but could you see potentially? Because I know you know Liz Truss mentioned how she wanted to take away. Uh, the power of the central banks. I'm sure that's probably something that, especially when things start to get worse and worse, I'm sure some you know, government people are going to mention that. Do you think that could happen? Or is that a very extreme case? <laughs> Look, every, everything's cyclical, right? And and it's funny how nobody wanted to take away the power of the central banks when they just kept cutting rates um, because it, it obviously suited governments. It suited them to have falling rates. It suited them to have all this stuff going on. So it's... Look, politicians... Are going to be politicians, right? And they're going to say whatever the 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 thing is they think will get them the most credibility, the most votes, whatever point in the cycle they're at. But it, it was it was inevitable that at some point central bank independence. You, you could argue whether they've been truly independent for a long, long time now. But there's always there was always going to be a moment where fingers started getting pointed at central banks as being the source of the problem. And, you know, who better to fix that than the government, which is absolute lunacy, but that's not to say it won't happen. And as I say, of course, now that they're at the central banks are in a position where they can't do politician-friendly policies for the short term, of course, we're starting to see them being questioned. We saw it immediately in Australia um, a few months ago that the, the, the independent review of the central bank was put in place. Um, we're going to see it everywhere. We're going to see it in Europe. We're going to see it in America. We'll see it in the UK. Japan seems to have skated by for now, but no doubt that will happen at some point when when um, when Kurodasan is found to be to be in a in a you know a prison of his own design. So it's 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 a real shame. But all this stuff is so horribly predictable because you've just got to figure out what central banks and politicians are going to do. And politicians are going to do anything they can to get elected. And once they're elected, they're going to do anything they can to stay elected. That's it, period. And the central bankers are going to do whatever they think is going to give the smoothest ride in the short term. They will never, ever take proactive pain for the economy because it's it's been proven to be a, a crazy thing to do. You know, it was Paul Volcker came in and, and did it uh, ex post and tightened rates after the, the cat was out the bag. Um, and at the time was absolutely pilloried. You know, his legacy has stood up incredibly well to the test of time. But at the time, he was public enemy number one. And, and you know, Jay Powell and Janet Yellen before him and Ben Bernanke before him, none of them wanted to be public enemy number one. So they're always going to take the easy way out. It's it's human nature. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's concerning to think. So, you know, I think last week we saw the UK bond market basically collapsed and we saw the outfall from that. Do you see that potentially happening for other markets where it just gets to the point where, you know, people lose faith in these governments, more faith than they already have, I guess, and the central banks? Well, you look, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, faith. This is all about faith now, right? It's about faith in central banks. It's about faith in governments. 
And thus far, um, that faith has has been rewarded because of what we've spoken about already, because if you had faith that the central bank would ride to the rescue, they have. Um, if you had faith that the government would give you a stimulus check when you needed it, they have. So that faith has been rewarded, um, but it doesn't take much to shatter it. And I think from an investor standpoint, um, the credibility of the central banks is is wobbling dramatically. And the recent events in the UK showcased that um, pretty plainly. The last time we saw anything like this was 92, when, when uh, the pound was forced out of the ERM, when you know, the, the markets, namely George Soros, punched the Bank of England on the nose. Um, they're not above that. They're not above getting hurt. They're not above getting bloodied. And so that that faith component that you talked about is is right now is the whole ball game. That's what all this is now built upon. If markets maintain their faith in central banks, maybe they can find some way out of this. I doubt it because what they need to do to maintain the faith goes against where what they need to do with interest rates. So it's going to be a very tricky thing for them to navigate. And politicians are running out of room to promise and spend. You know, their faith has always been, yeah, here's some more free money. But with the finances of the UK in the spotlight recently, um, but they're they're no better or worse than any of these other countries. In fact, you could argue that the US is in way worse fiscal shape. Um, uh, But it just hasn't hasn't mattered because they've got the dollar and everyone needs dollars right now. So we're at a real turning point i think um we're at a turning point in terms of the inflation deflation situation we're in we're at a turning point in this faith in in the authorities and we're at a turning point in terms of the public and what they're willing to to stomach despite being told how great everything is and how strong the economy is and how well everything's growing and how inflation's only two percent and how things are going to moderate you can feel that that elastic band getting stretched to the point of snapping. So this this next six months to a year, I think, is going to be is going to be seismic in terms of the disruption that we see right across all those three parts of the spectrum. And so in your opinion, what do you think will happen? Well, look, the the the, the central banks will try to get rates as high as they can without breaking anything, which is why I think you're seeing these 75 basis point hikes. Um, the more of those they can get in without breaking something, the, the better for them because it gives them more room to cut. They've done a pretty good job of that so far, I have to say. But we've seen the bond market reprice dramatically already. We haven't seen that in equities. So I think there's a, still a fall to come in the equity markets. Um, governments are on a wing and a prayer now because they all need someone to buy their debt. And I suspect that where we're going with this is the central banks will be forced to pivot uh, they'll be forced to monetize the debt, and then you're going to see um, all these currencies uh, get shelled against against gold, against wine, against you know anything real commodities. Uh, anything real is going to catch a bid, and everything fiat is going to be what did Voltaire say? All all fiat money trades its intrinsic value, which is zero eventually. Um, so that's what I, I think will happen. The timing, I just don't know. Some very smart friends of mine, um, Felix Ulauf being one that springs to mind immediately, thinks we're going to have a bounce into 2024. Um, uh, I, I, I don't see where that's coming from, but I know better than to uh, than to disagree with Felix. Um, he's a way smarter man than I'll ever be. Uh, and then he thinks the major collapse happens in 2025. But of course, that, that could easily be brought forward just depending on, on how these things play out. So, you know, Felix's roadmap, 
is um you know we kind of hold the lows we've made in around here we rally through 2024 and then the big fall comes in 2025 that's that's something that he's laid out and it's 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 followed that analog very very well so far but things seem to be picking up speed now so i'm i'm not so sure we'll 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 get that long to figure this out yeah i guess my challenge with like uh hypotheses like that is that you know if you look at the past 20 years even i guess after 08 as well it's just hobbled along and basically they've done whatever they can to make sure this system remains as it is because i guess the benefits for them you know you could say incentives financialization etc so i guess my it's that challenge that it's continued to go despite what's happened but i guess you're saying that it's just got to the point where it can't go any further and i guess feel well, that's what things as well what what's what's happened is they've and if you if you think about it, if you break down what's what they've done they've done the same thing every time right they've cut rates uh to the bone and then when that wasn't going to get it done they they started qe um and then since then they've just thrown qe at everything and now we're at the point where if qe doesn't work and they're overwhelmed by sellers of bonds who will who will give them way more to buy than they can handle what happens then right and and the tools left and this is the kind of worrying part um and russell napier's talked brilliantly about this the tools that are left to them if that happens uh are basically different variations of financial repression um it's you know it's 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 capital controls it's credit controls it's mandatory government bond buying it's all the things that we've kind of read about from the 50s uh post-world war ii and assumed it could never happen here today because this is a free market economy and we're not you know at the end of the second world war it's that was never the point the point is human fallibility and poor decision making on the part of people that, that don't want to face the music leads us inevitably to the place where the rubber meets the road and they have to start putting rules in place that 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 give them the the outcome they want regardless of how fair or how sensible they may be yeah and i guess if you think about the main people who own these bonds you know we saw it last week in the uk i think they were talking about pension funds and i guess there's a lot of a lot of these i guess people who are about to retire who are very reliant on you know the bonds that are held within those pension funds and i guess other organizations so the government's going to do whatever they can to make sure that they retain their value yeah they will i mean uh, again it's it's a short-term phenomenon they'll they'll do they won't let it happen the first time but who knows, right? And then you then you get back into you just fuel this inequality divide. You know why should the boomers get bailed out? Um, you can't afford to bail out Gen X pensions. You can't afford to bail out millennial pensions. Uh, and the answer will be, well, no, give them time; they'll come around and they'll be okay. But again, you know, you, you're just you're just you're just at this point where you're you're making different rules for different parts of society. And up until now, as I said before, that's been tolerated. But now we're at the point where um, if the difference between the haves and the have-nots is not being able to eat or heat their homes, it's very different to the difference between the two groups being, you know, one sees the value of their art collection go up and the other one doesn't, right? It's, 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 it's totally different. So we're in a very different phase of that particular part of the of the cycle. And it's going to be incredibly difficult to, to put – any policies in place now that that benefit the wealthy um as should be the case you know it's 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 labor's turn capital has had a field day for decades now it's labor's turn and the, and the sooner the politicians realize this um the sooner they can start 
creating policies that, that even that playing field out. But what that means ultimately is a transfer of wealth from the rich to the poor. And that will happen by asset prices falling and, and people being able to afford houses they couldn't afford before. Uh, just to give one example. And, and that's really the way this has to go. If we look at maybe one of the influences to the, the inflation, I guess the challenges we're experiencing at the moment, uh, Ukraine-Russia conflict, obviously Russia invading the Ukraine. Are you seeing that it feels like there's more, I guess, conflict in the world, obviously not just that, but you, you know, we look at the US's reaction to Saudi Arabia and OPEC plus recently and how they're saying that they're signing with Russia. Do you feel like there's more of this conflict, not just, I guess, actual conflict, but more of this psychological conflict between East versus West and I guess, you know, us versus them? Look, for sure. But that again, that stems from the fact that everybody's in a bad way right now. Their finances are in a bad way. Their demographics are mostly in a bad way. Their societies are in a bad way. Um, this, this is not a fun time. This is not a fun time to be any kind of policymaker because all the sins of the past multiple decades, five, six, seven decades, are all coming home to roost now. And so you've got to try and make policies that will get you through that, but it really is survival time. And so when you're trying to survive, any anything that doesn't align with your outcomes can be deemed enemy action. That's why you're seeing all this conflict. That's why you're seeing fingers being pointed at OPEC. You know, they've they've cut supply before. Uh, it was never said they were siding with Russia. You know, they've got and they've got their own domestic problems to sort out. They're cutting, they're cutting production because they need the price up. Because guess what? They've got people they have to take care of it domestically. And and you know, we've had decades of of cooperation and tailwinds and and global uh, globalization. That's reversing. It's as simple as that. And when that reverses. Domestic politics always trumps international politics. That's that's the way it's always been. Um, no, no leader is going to put the global economy ahead of his own populace because guess who votes for him? Uh, the citizens in his own country. So y- you are going to see this more and more uh, until there's been some kind of clean out, some kind of leveling of the playing field. And, and to me, that means borrowers... Uh, take some pain at the expense of savers with interest rates going up. The rich takes expense at the, at the uh, take some pain at the expense of the poor as, as asset prices come down to more affordable levels. Um, that's just the way it has to go. And and it, it, it it's going to happen on its own or it can be forced. And frankly, the quicker we get this over with, the better. But the longer you try and postpone this, um, the worse it's going to get and the more angry the disenfranchised are going to become and the more conflict you're going to see so that you know it's a it's a self-feeding loop that you've identified there that won't stop uh until the kind of the, the playing field has been leveled or at least people feel like there's a genuine attempt being made to level the playing field and i don't think anybody feels that way right now exactly and as you said that instability it's especially when it's on other countries as well it spreads to basically all, all around the world. So, um, you know, I guess BRICS as well is a organization who's, you know, I think it's uh, China, Russia, Brazil, et cetera, commodities-based. They're looking to bring in sort of maybe a commodities-backed reserve currency. Do you see that as maybe a solution to what you mentioned before, where fiat currencies really devalue? 
Yeah, no, I've talked about this before, and I, I actually did a presentation on this called um, Cry Wolf back in 20, I think it was 2018, four years ago. Um, and what I suggested there was that at some point the financial system will reach the point we're at now where it's going to fragment. And at that point, gold will be reintroduced. Now, that's not to say we're, we're going to go back onto a gold standard, but if you're going to stabilize a financial system, you need a neutral reserve asset. And that will be gold. They, they, All the central banks will go back to gold. Gold will be put at the center of the financial ecosystem once more to try and stabilize and get everything priced off that to, to calm everything down. And they will work as quickly as they can to remove gold from the system because it's 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 such a fantastic handbrake on politicians uh, and central banks um, writing un, unbacked checks. So, you know, if the, if the if the BRIC nations, if China and Russia and um, Turkey, India, Brazil, all these countries do start to decide that the West is reeling, which it is, and particularly what we've seen in the energy markets, people are starting to realize that the only real reserve currency is energy. If you have it, you have a massive advantage. Um, and so all the countries that have been digging things out of the ground and selling them might start to think quite seriously about digging things out of the ground and and creating a basket that that, that is priced off them because it will, it will do them no harm. Um, and I think that's the way we're headed. Now, how quickly it happens... Uh, or even if it happens, is unknowable. But if you look at the problems facing East and West, uh, it, it's a very sensible solution for the weaker half of that. And even though you could argue that Western economies are every bit as weak as their Eastern counterparts, there's still this projection of power from the West because they do run the financial system. They do have the dollar backing it. They do... Um, tend to be at the heart of everything that goes on in financial markets. Um, but the the East has all the things that people need now. And so I, I think we are going to see a move towards doing this. We're, we're seeing it away from the headlines, away from the front pages. We have been for a number of years now. You know, my friend Luke Gromman has chronicled this brilliantly for a number of years. Um, it's all happening. You know, payment rails are being put in place and bilateral agreements are being signed and you are creating this group of people who at some point are likely to say, okay, we are going to launch our own parallel financial system. You're welcome to be involved. We're not going to exclude anybody. But if you want to trade with us and if you want to be a part of this financial system, the dollar is not the king. Um, you know, we're going to have a Bancor type currency that will that will be based off a basket of commodities and gold and whatever else. And this is this is how we're going to function. If you don't want to be a part of it, that's absolutely fine. But you're going to struggle to trade with more than half the population of the planet, and that makes things tricky. So we're in for an awful lot of change, and it's the kind of change that people struggle to get their heads around because it only really happens once in a lifetime, if that, if not once in two or three lifetimes. And normally these are things you read about, and you can read about them all you want, but if you don't experience them, they're, they're just abstract. Um, we're living through history now, and, and we're going to see things – that we've read about in in textbooks and history books, and they're going to look awful lot different up close than they do jumping off the page at you. So, I guess, do you think the West will sanction? Will sort of go be very aggressive against and sanction a system like that, similar to what they've done with Russia? And I guess, do you also think that maybe some of those countries would be uninvestable? 
define uninvestable. You know, I mean, uninvestable to who? The U.S. will sanction because that's what they do. But as we've seen, you know, I think the I think the sanction of the Russian central bank was a catastrophic error on their part. I have to say, I think that has now made every central bank in the world question um, what the future might hold for them if they if they disagree with the U.S. policy at some sort. Can they be sanctioned? So yes, they will try and sanction. But that, that's the that's the beauty of having an alternative payment system set up. If you've got, if you're China and you're Russia and you want to transact in energy, you, you don't. The sanctions won't hurt you. You just do it between yourselves. You bring in India. You bring in the Saudis. Um, there are plenty of countries. Fine, it may not be the US, but look at Europe. Europe needs energy. Period. And there's a there's a there's a time when the US can send them energy, which they're doing now. That won't last forever. And ultimately, Europe. Is is all dependent upon energy coming from their east, and that's an, an enormous uh, piece of leverage that Putin ostensibly has, but also this new trading bloc. Um, you know, if you get the Saudis involved in that, and you get Russia involved in it, and you get China involved in it, and India, that's you can't just ignore that, right? It's just not something you can say, ah, you know, it doesn't matter. It's nonsense. It, it does matter, and it will matter. So. Again, you know, this is just another sign that we're at a period where we're going to see immense change and and powers that we're we're not used to seeing dominate global politics and, and global financial systems are in the ascendancy now. And that's not to say the US is doomed or Europe is doomed, but it is to say that that the, the countries that that were seen of as kind of second-tier citizens are going to be much more vociferous about demanding. A, a bigger slice of the pie, or, or, or a seat at the grown-up table, and, and that's that's happening now, and it's going to continue to happen. I think. Yeah, and you know, it's just not going to be uh, not just going to say no. You're going to have to either let them let them in. You or... can't. You can't just say no. It's just it's just you know it's, they're, they're just too big. They're just too big to ignore. Yeah, exactly. Which is a crazy time ahead. So I remember listening to one of your interviews. I think where you were interviewing Anthony Deaton. I don't think I pronounced that correctly, and it really uh, stuck with me. And I guess he's probably one of those investors who's more, I guess, traditional value investing is investing in these companies that are more physical. So you mentioned before gold and some of those other assets. Do you see maybe manufacturers and I guess more the traditional value companies as well, maybe benefiting from what we might experience? Well, it's it's a tough one, right? Because at the same time manufacturers might benefit they're also going to be uh given the kind of split on a political basis reshoring a lot of their outsourced manufacturing which is going to put their costs up dramatically so it's not quite that straightforward you know what 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 i think is going to be very interesting is is a potential end to everybody's fixation with the stock market you know there are there are hundreds of thousands of companies that aren't listed that are great investments if you can buy into private companies um not with the the sole aim of of listing them um and getting an exit that way but but producing cash flow you know like businesses are supposed to invest in a business and have it have it pay you dividends every year um and so i i think that to me is more likely what we're going to see is is wealthy investors who say that i don't want to get caught up in the stock market i want to invest in businesses that are doing great things they're either they either are listed and they're very tightly held um or they're unlisted uh and i can invest in them as a partner in the business and this is you know this is very much tony's philosophy uh we, we spoke to it in the interview i think you're referring to 
Um, that, I suspect, is going to come back into fashion because there are going to be plenty of superb businesses that get caught up in a stock market uh, crash and end up being sold incredibly cheaply. Now, that's great if you're an investor with with cash and a strong stomach. You can you can buy companies that are phenomenal businesses, cheap when everybody panics, and just hold on to them. Um, and, and that's the way it should be. But this this idea that uh, we're going to start a company, we're going to rush it to IPO, we're going to get out, we're going to list it, and then everyone's going to want to buy this company. I, I just think that being the, the the kind of default position for everyone, again, is going to change. I think people will be looking to invest away from from markets that get whipsawed around based on central bank decisions, inflation news, et cetera, et cetera. You know, d- despite what's happening in equity markets recently, if you're a guy with a with a chain of 25 dry cleaners, you're not bothered what the Dow Jones is doing. You might be bothered what what's happening to your customers in terms of their disposable income and how they might be carrying out. But that's that's a business problem. That's a business decision to have. You're not you're not seeing your net worth evaporate because a bunch of retail traders have decided that you know they, they no longer want to play with with your sector. So it changes everywhere. And I think that's that's the one constant now we can we can rely on is change. Whichever part of this crazy puzzle we all like to spend our days figuring out you look at, it's going to change. I, I don't think anything's going to stay the same. Yeah, which is crazy to think. So I guess do you think that would maybe build like a bit more of a wealth divide? Because you said there that I guess the only people who are going to have be able to access that are probably wealthy investors. Or do you think maybe well, not necessarily? Be- not necessarily. I mean, look, if if you're someone who saved up twenty grand and you think to yourself, right, I want to invest my twenty grand. Well, you know what? You could go and put it in an ETF, or you could find. Let's stick to our dry cleaning. You could find a local dry cleaning business who's looking to raise some money, and some capital, and become a partner in a real business, not not a piece of paper that's or a number that's quoted on a on a screen every day, but a living, breathing partner in a business. Um, and and I think that is something that that you don't have to be super rich to do. You know, I've I've got a, a very good friend of mine who's um, who did just this twenty odd years ago. Bought, you know, he he he. Um, left his job was was paid out uh and had some money invested it in a business uh, became a partner in the business and helped grow that business to the point where he sold it for for you know a really good amount of money but he was a businessman he didn't look at the stock price every day he looked at the price of his inventory he looked at the looked at the, his customers and looked at his margins and did all the kind of things that you're supposed to do and he ended up building a great business and and he went through recessions and he went through booms and he went through busts and all the all the different parts of the cycle, but his share price wasn't moving around every day, and he wasn't getting people writing articles about it. He just he just got on with it, and so I, I think a lot of people are going to look to do that. And you know, starting a business of your own has never been easier. So you know, I, I would like to hope that there will be a wave of entrepreneurship that comes out of this uh, that isn't funded by free. A, a zero cost capital uh, and and does need to make a profit in order to survive what a fantastic world that will be to see to see thousands of people starting businesses that are profitable maybe not massively so but but real businesses uh, that do have the opportunity to grow and if they can ride out tough times have a, have the opportunity to prosper so you know for me 
it's not all bad at all. The things that, that are happening right now and the, and the screaming headlines are very much written from a financialization perspective, from, from a market's perspective. In the real world, opportunities are still everywhere. Yeah, and I think when you mention stuff like that, it's also making sure companies can survive when these challenges happen. Because I guess the cha- what, what we've seen is especially the big companies that have just levered to the teeth, they try to reward themselves as much as they can. And then if shit hits the fair, then they hope the government bails them out. But it's actually moving away from that, I guess, to them maybe having more cash on, on hand in case these this stuff happens, like I guess most individuals yeah. have to have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So do you sort of uh, link crypto into those, I guess, low value or like those uh, high growth opportunities that have made lots of money recently, but you think are potentially going to suffer? Or <laughs> You're going to lose at least half your audience here because I, I just don't care about crypto. I'm sorry. I can't find a way to care about it. I, I wish everybody the best. I wish everyone who's long the best. I wish everyone who's short the best. I just can't care about it. Um you know, I, I I looked at it. I understand from a philosophical standpoint what it's there to do, and and I, you know, as a, as someone who believes in gold and and would class himself as a libertarian, I I understand it, and I'm I'm right behind it. But it 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 became something completely different to that. It just became about the number going up, uh, and it, that lost me because I just I just I just don't care, and I, and I realized that if I want to care. I'm going to have to devote an awful lot of my time and my life to something that I just don't care about. So, uh, you know, as I said, I, I, I'm totally agnostic. I, I have uh, really bad feelings about some of these stable coins. I think Tether is a complete fraud. Um, what happens if that goes to the wall in the crypto markets? I don't know. I've got dear, dear friends who've lost life savings in Luna and things like that. Um you know, I, I haven't seen that many people get rich and stay rich with Bitcoin. I haven't seen many people cash out at 60000 and, you know, go and buy that yacht and that big house in the countryside and just enjoy it. Uh, I, I, I see I see idealism. I see it get caught up in this, um, in this cult-like uh, situation. And it's just, I just, I just don't care. So, you know, I, 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 as I said, I don't wish the Bitcoin guys deal I, I hope they all get rich and i hope the shorts get rich i just can't care i'm sorry yeah no definitely makes sense so uh grant thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it i guess my last question is what is one message you want people to take away from our conversation oh good question that uh okay what's one message to take away uh change be prepared for change and be prepared to think through the kind of changes that 10 years ago you would have said, well, that will never happen because right now I think everything's up for grabs. So open your open your horizons in terms of what kind of change you can you can get comfortable with and and don't rule anything out. Think everything through. It's fine if you do the thinking to say, no, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But if someone says, I think X is going to happen, don't say no chance because right now everything's up for grabs. Yeah, definitely so much is occurring. I think that's a great message to take away. So Grant, thanks again. Uh, so I know there's lots of interviews that you've done online. We mentioned your newsletter. Is there anywhere else people can find your work? Uh, look, the easiest way is just grant-williams.com. Everything, everything that I've done is there. So it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, easy access. All right, I'll put that in the description. So Grant, thanks again. All right, great pleasure. Thanks, Anthony. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe so you're notified when new podcasts are released. I hope you're leaving with some great value about investing, trading, and finance. See you on the next show.